This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Power Breakfast with TT. Weekdays 6 to 9 a.m. on Power 98.7. 30 minutes after 8, yeah. So let's get to that conversation. So as I said, the recent catastrophic events in Joburg CBD, such as the recent deadly fire in Marshalltown, draw the attention of the media because of the staggering horror of the moment. This is the view of Professor Alex van der Hever, who's my next guest. He's with the School of Governance at Wits. He says, he says that although understandable, it does, the, the polls are focused of the pull of the focus on the spectacle on the mo- uh, of the moment takes attention away from the years that it took to cause a cat- catastrophe or for the catastrophe to um, uh, uh, occur. And in fact, what uh, Professor Van der Heever is speaking to says here, all of this is manif- uh, the, the, basically the consequences of a lack of accountability. Professor Alex Van der Heever is the chair in the field of Social Security Systems Administration and Management Studies at the Wirt School of Governance. He joins us on the line. Prof, good morning, and thank you so much for your time this morning. Good morning. I hope that uh, I kind of summed up your, 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 well, your, the sentiments that you're expressing in this uh, piece um, that you wrote uh, correctly. Um, yeah. Well, the, so the, the accountability uh, aspect relates to the long-term failure mm. um, rather than the event in and of itself. Obviously, that there is a specific accountability for that, but this has taken years to build up. And as I point out in the article, mm. when you go to the um, uh, uh, the plans that the, that, the, that the city has, they actually had no concrete plans at all to deal with hijacked buildings. Mm. There's nothing more than superficial mention of them and no apparent strategy at all. Mm. And uh, and this is staggering, considering that 29 buildings in that in the city centre, so roughly sort of 29, 51% of a list of 57 hijacked buildings in the city centre, uh, 51% are owned by the city. Mm. And so this is continuing. Uh, this problem is going to happen again, but it does suggest that it is systematic. Mm. In other words, that there is something um, that's keeping this particular problem. Uh, alive and preventing it from from any intervention. Mm. So there's a strong possibility that there is corruption involved here and that people are basically taking the cut to protect the syndicates running these arrangements. Mm. And that's the reason why the plans are so superficial and don't do, and and then part of the failure of accountability is then to point fingers at other parties, other uh, other causes mm. which are uh, not really plausible at all like NGOs um, and uh, the, the migrant crisis, etc., and mm. the, and apartheid, or none of those things actually apply to what happened to this building. You know, it's actually interesting. I find it interesting that, as you say, um, a lot of the government officials that have spoken on this matter, be they at the national, provincial, or at the city, uh, at local government level, have all said, yeah, they've all trotted out that line of uh, let's not point fingers, let's await investigation and so forth. Um, but uh, having said that, they are very quick then to point fingers at the NGOs, which I found uh, in itself quite curious. 
Yes, it's 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 very odd, and it and it happens at a time when legislation is being passed to security vet NGOs, which in itself is a very um, uh, a very odd move, because there's absolutely no basis for security vetting mm. of NGOs, and is and quite clearly will end up in the courts if there's mm. any attempt to take that legislation through. But there is quite clearly an attack on NGOs, mm. but the NGOs quite clearly have nothing to do with this. Um, as I indicate in the article, a, pre- a preventive strategy dealing with the rehabilitation of the CBD is entirely possible and feasible. And NGOs, the courts, etc., are not an obstacle if you're actually if you have your ducks in a row. Mm. The city tends to be uh, blocked in certain instances where they operate unlawfully. So when you evict people unlawfully, um, expect to be in the courts. <laughs> Do it lawfully because mm. you can evict people lawfully. You can rehabilitate buildings. You can also criminally prosecute and follow up the, the syndicates that are running these buildings. You know, they need to extract the money on site. It's very easy to intercept that. Why, it's, why is it not being intercepted? Mm. So all of these things suggest that there is an avoidance of dealing with the issue. Mm. But it's about uh, now coming up with scapegoats to avoid accountability. And that avoidance of accountability is not only for the event itself, it's also for the long-term pattern, but um, uh, more importantly, just doing absolutely nothing about buildings they own. Mm. These are not buildings that belong to somebody else who's breaking the law. This is their, these are their own buildings where the law is being broken uh, willfully by the, by people that are potentially being protected by people within the city. Mm. So I, I think that this raises questions uh, that uh, have not been answered to date. There's no way to avoid direct accountability for not pursuing um, irregular activity on mm. buildings you own. Because again, some the point that you make in your article is that, uh, that we, which is again something that I think is noteworthy, is the fact that it almost sounds, when you listen to what uh, some of these government officials have been saying, particularly when they um, point their fingers at their NGOs, to say they sound helpless against NGOs and uh, and or the criminals and the uh, foreign uh, the the foreign in, uh, immigrants who are in the country legally or otherwise. Yes, so the uh, so this is obviously part of uh, a deflection tactic is to make people who are actually quite vulnerable and weak appear to be very strong and uh, and difficult to address. The reality is that NGOs are pretty precarious organizations on the whole. Um, and in many cases, they are, you know, they have a, a, a sort of a, 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 a moral cause behind what they are doing. Mm. But they are pretty, pretty shallow. And the only thing that they're attacking is the unlawfulness of the process mm. that the, the the city might be using. So unlawful evictions is very easy to address. I pointed out in the article, mm. there is a set of steps that you would take, and you can lawfully. Um, uh, evict people mm. from the building, but you must follow those steps. That's why we have the laws. And you know, this was originally, it's not just the Constitution. People say, oh, well, the Constitution is preventing us from doing what's absolutely necessary in the public interest. Mm. That's nonsense. I think what's you, done mm. is that the Constitution has basically entrenched some provisions that used to be in the common law. Like mm. the Mandament von Spooli was a particular provision that prevented any party, including the government, from taking the law into their own hands. And it was used by the courts and, and, and civil society organizations and apartheid 
to stop the apartheid government from flattening squatter camps. Mm. In, uh, and they won those court cases, but in, then there wasn't a constitution, so all the government did, the National Party government did, was change mm. the law I want and to, exclude squatter camps. I wanted you to pick out on, a, I mean, you outlined in your article seven steps that you say should be taken in addressing the problem of hijacked buildings. Um, maybe if we can just pick out uh, some of the key points from that uh, process. You've already touched on one about intercepting the monies that are being taken illegally um, from uh, you know people who live in these buildings. Yes, so the first step is that you identify and pursue criminal charges against the criminal elements, which, by the way, they identify in their uh, IDP. Mm. They, they know they're criminals. So they, they shouldn't be hard to identify. The second is intercept any money transfers. They have to collect money in mm. cash from people sitting in these buildings. Intercept that. How hard is that? Mm. You know, the, the third step would get you mitigate any safety concerns. You can't do things immediately. But if there's a building that is going to burn down tomorrow, if one candle tips over, you've got to address that. Somehow you've got to mitigate while you start sorting out the problem. And then you identify with, this is a long-term issue, mm. identify and prepare alternative decent accommodation for tenants. That's a, an important step in the process of eviction. Many of the people in that building are paying to be there, which, which actually assists in being able to provide alternative accommodation. Then mm. you ad- ad- demarcate your sort of lawful process to address illegal I- immigrants. We've got laws, apply them lawfully. Not mm. unlawfully. You don't go in there and just mm. start arresting people and dragging them across this, put it, throwing them into prison. Address it lawfully. Mm. They're there because we haven't been applying the law properly. Absolutely. And just and, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the, and so following those kinds of steps, leading to an ultimate solution, is not an overnight thing. It's something you build up and invest in as a city over time to mm. deal with a problem that is never going to go away. It's a, it's a long-term solution also, though. It may take long, but it also is a long-term solution as well. Uh, just to, to conclude, as our time's up, uh, Prof, um, what do you make then of the fact that, I mean, it's been announced that there will be some kind of a commission of inquiry to look into um, what happened at this Marshalltown building? Should that be necessary? There should be a, a, a I mean, does it require one? Or, I mean, is it uh, in the interest of, um, you know, a comprehensive investigation, it's necessary to go this route? As it stands now, I would, I would argue that this is another deflection because a commission of inquiry can be helpful if you didn't know this problem for a very long time. Mm. So this, I, I don't think that it's necessary. Now it becomes a situation where people say, no, we can't answer your questions. It's being investigated by the commission of inquiry, which will mm. last three years, mm. and then you'll get something at the end of it. It's uh, At this point in time, there we have systems and processes for holding people to account, and they need to. What I saw with various of the politicians being interviewed, the ones directly responsible for this Mm. issue within the city, was that they had absolutely no idea of Mm. a coherent strategy to deal with it. Now, that to me is a concern. I don't need a commission of inquiry to know that they're not doing their job. Mm. And uh, and essentially, that needs to be uh, made very, very clear. So the commission of inquiry is not going to solve the problem of an MMC who's not doing their job and not competent for their position. Professor Alex van der Heerfe, thank you so much for that. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, Professor Alex van der Heerfe is uh, with the Wits Business uh, sc- the School, the Wits School of Governance. Please check out, uh, you can have a read of that uh, article if you're interested. It's fascinating, it's well written, fascinating read and you know, quite illuminating in terms of what the challenges are here. It's uh, available on Daily Maverick.
You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.